As many of you know, I'm currently a seminary student. I attend a seminary just south of Lexington, Kentucky. It's called Asbury Theological Seminary. And one of the things that I do a lot of in seminary is read. It seems like that's all we do sometimes is read books. Uh, some advice that I've gotten is to read next to a window on a windy day so that the pages just seem to turn themselves on by. And the reality is that uh, one of my favorite places to go read, if I can get out of my house and don't have to go to some dark corner of the library, is Starbucks. It's, it's nice. I can sit in a big comfy chair. There's music playing, people coming in and out warm cup of coffee, perfect place to read. And there was one particular day this last winter while I was reading in Starbucks that I noticed a man sitting at a table near me. He had his computer open, a couple notebooks, a book. He looked like he was working, but he wasn't working too hard. And across the store I noticed another usual face. But this man was clearly without a home. It's actually kind of nice. He comes into Starbucks, it seems like, every day. There's never been a time that I've been there that this man is also not in the store. He treats everyone with respect. The staff loves him well. Every time he walks in, giant ice water, bam, waiting for him right there on the counter. Any free drink they have that no one picks up immediately goes to his table. And I wasn't trying to overhear this interaction, but my proximity to where it was taking place led me into the situation where I saw this homeless man approach the man sitting at the table near me. And in their conversation, it quickly became evident that the man at the table was a pastor. Because the homeless man approached him and simply asked, Pastor, will you pray with me? I have to be honest with you, it rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't sit right when the pastor kind of brushed him off. and said, in a minute, let me finish the tasks that I'm trying to get done. I'll pray with you in a little bit. And the homeless man went back to his seat on the other side of the store and waited. I want you to hold on to that story. We're going to come back to it. But I remember distinctly thinking to myself that not just as someone who might be a clergy person, but as a Christian in general, if someone asks us for prayer, who are we in that moment to turn them away? If you were with us last week, we uh, celebrated Trinity Sunday together and we talked about the relevance of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity for our lives. To briefly work back through that, we talked about how the Spirit is leading the children of God into unity with the Son in the love of the Father. And we talked about the freedom that that brings us as Christians, as the children of God, that we're free from sin. We're free from the power of death. Because in the resurrection life of Christ, we are free for life. We are free for loving God and loving our neighbors. And we're going to build on that this week. And it's going to get pretty practical. And we're going to build on that by talking about 
the relationship between Jesus and the church. And to do that this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. And we're going to do the same thing we did last week, and that I've been told you've done for a few weeks now, is that we're going to read the passage together as a congregation allowed. So in a moment, the words will be on the screen behind me, and we'll read it together. And in the same way we did last week, we're going to end the reading with a congregational response in which I will lead us and prompt us in saying, this is the Word of God for the people of God. And together as the church, with gratitude and accepting God's Word for us today, you will say together, thanks be to God. Again, our text this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 9-16. through 16. So let us read together. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. This is the Word of God for the people of God. As I pointed out last week, any time we're engaging a passage of Scripture, context is essential. And to briefly survey where we are in Romans, Paul is writing this letter, the book of Romans, to the church in Rome because there is ethnic division happening in that church community. The Jewish Christians are afraid that if their Gentile sisters and brothers in the church do not take on Jewish religious customs like circumcision, following the dietary laws about what is clean and unclean to eat, and other aspects of the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament, then they're afraid that their Gentile fellow believers will not inherit the fullness of salvation God has made available in Jesus Christ. And what Paul does masterfully throughout the entirety of this book is lay an argument that explains that it is not our ethnic identity that has any standing before God. Because we are all justified by His grace alone, according to our faith in the power of the Spirit. And he uses this teaching to turn the situation on its head at the church in Rome and get to deeper, more penetrating issues that are causing the division among them. Last week we explored how Paul does this in relationship to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And this week, we're doing it especially in chapter 12, with the relationship between Jesus and the church. Where Paul kind of makes a turn in this letter. He gets really practical. And he calls for reconciliation among the Christians in the church at Rome. 
And what he does at the beginning of this chapter is that Paul actually uses this language in the verses that come just before the passage we read together a moment ago where he calls the church the body of Christ. The one body of Christ. And if I'm 100% honest, I don't think we do particularly well with that language today in our context. A lot of times we want to categorize it as some kind of analogy that is simply pointing at or hinting at the closeness of Jesus and the church. But I think if we look to the wholeness of Scripture, we see that Paul is doing something so much more with this language of the church as the body of Christ. If we know Paul's story, we can go back to the book of Acts. We find Paul's conversion. Before he was a Christian, Paul's name was Saul. He was a Jewish Pharisee. And for lack of a better label, he was nothing short of a terrorist. Acts chapter 8 actually tells us that Paul was going door to door, dragging women and men out of their homes and arresting them for being Christian. Even killing some. Acts chapter 9, the first verse in that chapter, tells us that Saul is breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus Christ. And as the narrative in Acts progresses, we see that Saul goes to the high priest and receives paperwork that empowers him to go to a city in the north, a large city known as Damascus, where he's going to go to each Jewish place of worship, find any Christians present, detain them, and bring them all the way back down to Jerusalem for punishment. And it's while he's going along this road to Damascus that suddenly a light from heaven confronts him. And he falls to the ground. And as he's on the ground, a voice calls out to him. And with power, the voice says to him, Saul! Saul, why are you persecuting me? Dazed and confused on the ground, Saul cries out and asks for the identity of who is calling to him. And the voice answers, It is I, Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. This language and this interaction between Saul and Jesus is important. We need to pay attention to it. Because Jesus does not ask Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the children of God? Why are you persecuting those Christians? No, Jesus asks a very pointed question to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? When in reality, Saul had nothing to do with Jesus. It was the Christian believers who he was arresting and at points killing. And we find language like this throughout the entirety of the New Testament that somehow conveys the closeness, the oneness, the relationship between Jesus and the church. And I think theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer actually offers us some helpful explanation in trying to understand the thrust of what the New Testament is getting at when it describes the church as the body of Christ. 
Bonhoeffer explains that Jesus, the living Christ, bodily resurrected, enthroned in all authority and power at the right hand of the Father, is through the power of the Holy Spirit the same time Himself and His church community. Because it is the life of Jesus that lives in the church community. That since Pentecost, at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is the life of Jesus that the church lives on earth. Or to put it as Paul puts it in Galatians, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Paul is doing something powerful here that I think his conversion experience informs. It sits in the background. When Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? He becomes aware of the oneness the unity, the intimacy between Jesus and the church. And what Paul then does in Romans chapter 12, our chapter today where our text is situated, is he begins with this claim of the identity of the church as the body of Christ on earth. And he creates a progression, a transition, a development in which he talks about in nitty-gritty practical details, the implications of what it means to be the body of Christ. To live as Jesus lived on this earth. Filled with His resurrection life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as we talked about last week, it is the Spirit who is leading us into unity with the Son in the love of the Father. And that is the life we now live as the church. And when the Holy Spirit leads us as the children of God to the Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit leads us to embrace the fullness of who Jesus is. I started this sermon with that story of the man in Starbucks. Sometime after they prayed, the pastor left. He packed up his bags, walked out the door. About a half hour later, the homeless man also left. It was starting to get dark. It was a pretty cold evening in Kentucky. He zipped up his coat, walked out the door. I had finished reading probably an hour after that. Packed up my backpack, got in my car, started to drive home on a busy road on the south side of Lexington, Kentucky. And several miles down the road, I noticed a figure on the shoulder. It seemed out of place. And as I got closer, I realized, oh, it's that same man from Starbucks. And I didn't think much of it as I was casually approaching him in my car with the heat blasting as he's out there bundled up in this coat trying to keep warm and head wherever he's headed for the night. But as soon as I passed him, Jesus encountered me. And he didn't say much, but he said something so pointed and it penetrated to the depth of the issue that I was not following the leading of the Spirit and embracing the fullness of who He is. 
All Jesus asked me in His power and in His grace was, so you'll pray with Him, but you won't physically help Him. See, friends, when the Spirit is leading us to embrace the fullness of the Son as the body of Christ on earth, that, that closeness, that intimacy, that unity, where it is Jesus who lives in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't get to pick and choose what parts of Jesus we follow. We don't get to select to share in His resurrection life without also sharing in the fullness of His incarnation and His crucifixion. And that is what the Holy Spirit is leading us into. And as Paul gets into it here in our passage this morning, it gets really practical really fast. See, our passage is the application. It's the turn that Paul makes in this chapter. And so the fundamental question this morning is where is Jesus calling you to follow Him? Where is He inviting you in His power and in His grace to embrace the fullness of who He is? For some of us this morning, Jesus might be inviting us to let our love be genuine, as Paul says, by sharing in Christ's incarnation. Now, Paul uses this phrase here at the beginning of our passage in verse 9 where he says, let our love be genuine. Translated another possible way from Greek to English, let love be without hypocrisy. What Paul is saying here is let love be undivided. Let love be total, entire, perfect, without equivocation, without division. Let it be reckless. Let love be holy as God's love is holy. And if Christ is inviting you to participate in His incarnation this morning, Paul gets into that here. Now, the incarnation is a technical term. It's the term used to label the movement, the development, the existence of Jesus coming to this earth as a real human person who is also fully God and was present among us. He shared in relationship with us. He knew us as a fully human person. And I think... What Paul's getting at is that he calls us to do the same. To share in the entirety of the incarnation through the leading of the Holy Spirit. In John, Jesus says that His disciples, the members of the church, will be known not by what they believe, not by their worship practices, but by their love. And we need to keep in mind this morning that there is an inextricably bound relationship between love and knowledge. The more you love something, the more you want to know about it. And the more you know something, the better enabled you are to love it. And so if Jesus is inviting us through the Spirit to participate in His incarnation, and He's calling us to love our neighbors, 
then the reality is that we have to know our neighbors. We have to be fully present with them. Paul points to this in our passage. He gets into this nitty-gritty, incarnational, deeply earthly reality of what it means to be the body of Christ. And embracing the fullness of who Jesus is in our text, when He claims it as the body of Christ, we are to love one another with mutual affection. We are to outdo one another in showing honor. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And associate with the lowly. This is the essence of what it means to share in the fullness of who Jesus is as the One who came and dwelt among us. So if Jesus is inviting you to share in His incarnation this morning, we can get really practical. Who can you rejoice with this week? Who can you weep with this week? Who do you often see sitting alone? Who lives near your home? Who do you know doesn't have a lot of friends at your work, in your schools, maybe even in this church community. Who can you associate with this week and be fully present with and grow in knowledge of who they are as a dignified child of God created in His image? Let our love be genuine. But perhaps Jesus is inviting you to embrace the fullness of who He is in a different way this morning. Because just as we're called to share in His incarnation, we're also called as His body to share in His crucifixion. And this can happen in two very different ways. Because the reality is that any time someone comes to faith, the moment that we might label as conversion, that is an immediate sharing in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because it is in that moment that Jesus encounters us and calls us to give up control of our lives, to trust Him entirely, to make Him our Lord. He invites us to give up control and follow Him as a living person who moves according to His own timing and His own purposes. So perhaps some of you today do not identify as a Christian. We live in a post-Christian culture. And I want you to know this morning as we developed last week, that if you are not a Christian, you need to know that you can't escape the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is always working, always present, always prompting us into unity with the Son because the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. And the reality is that there will come windows, particular moments in time, when the living person of Jesus Christ immediately confronts you in a unique in deeply personal way and invites you to follow Him as a disciple. 
But you also need to understand this morning that we don't have the power, the ability to arbitrarily choose when, according to our timing, we're going to start following Jesus. Because the nature of discipleship is that in order to follow, you have to be invited to come along. And so if Jesus is beckoning you this this morning, if through the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, the living Jesus Christ is reaching out to you, something's welling up in you, this moment is fundamentally different, then I want to encourage you to reach out, take the leap of faith, whatever language you want to use to associate with that yes decision, that free decision that you have in that particular window to say yes or no, to following Jesus Christ. Say yes. Give up your own life so that He could give you His eternal, never-ending, everlasting resurrection life. And you might experience the truth of what Augustine wrote hundreds of years ago when he said that it is in God's eternity, that life, that we have all of our stability. But for others of us in the room this morning, I think we're being invited to share in the crucifixion in another way. See, conversion is just the beginning. But the reality is that following Jesus and embracing our unity with Him as the body of Christ, being in relationship and one with the fullness of who He is requires us to again and again and again participate in His crucifixion. The living person of Jesus Christ has the ability to call us to do things that are uncomfortable. To call us to trust the Father and His goodness. So let our love be genuine at all costs. Just as Jesus' love for all people that they might have salvation was genuine at all costs. And the reality is that once we participate in the incarnation of Jesus, we grow in knowledge of our neighbors. And when you grow in that awareness, you immediately see their needs. You understand what they need and where they are broken because of your presence and relationship with them. And it is in that moment that the Spirit again leads us into unity with the Son as His body and gives us the opportunity to share in Jesus' crucifixion. Paul points to this with glaring clarity this morning in our passage when he lists that we are to bless those who persecute us, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. It has to cost us something to follow Jesus. Because it cost Him everything to give us His own resurrection life. So if Jesus is prompting you today to follow Him and share in His crucifixion as His body on earth, 
Who can you take a burden off of this week? Who can you buy a meal for? Who can you freely give to? Who can you physically serve? Who can you encourage? Who can you give dignity to? Who can you elevate above yourself? Who can you share God's self-giving love with this week? And this is where the turn comes, church. Because it is through our unity with Christ as His body and the sharing in His incarnation and His crucifixion that we share in His resurrection life. Paul gets into this in our passage. We have to believe with the entirety of our being in the hope that through our weakness, through the giving of our real time, our real resources, and perhaps even our real lives, so that others might live just as Jesus did for everyone, we have to hope that somehow in that, the power and the glory and the grace of the living God will confront people and invite them into His life and love. Just as it has done and continues to do with the weakness and suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul draws this out in our passage when he says that we are to be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, rejoice in hope. Because as the body of Christ in faith, through the witness of the Spirit, immediately to our spirit, we know that we're children of God. We know that we have a good Father who won't let us go. Who's assured us of that in the resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we know in hope that the grip of God cannot be broken. He won't let us go when we step out in faith and share in the fullness of our unity with Christ as His body on earth. The church community. This morning we're going to conclude our time of worship by singing a song that was written fairly recently. I'm sure a lot of you are actually familiar with it. It's quite popular. It's entitled, O Come to the Altar. And the reality is that this song adequately captures the movement, the thrust, the power of the journey we've been on together these last two weeks. Because the song begins with Jesus inviting us each to Himself to come to the altar where the Father's arms are open wide. But there's a movement in the lyrics of this song and where the song ends is a call to carry our cross and to share with the world the hope that we've found. So I would invite those who are going to lead us in that time to come forward at this moment. But it seems like it would be pastoral malpractice if we sang a song about coming to the altar that captured the beauty of this movement 
of our salvation journey into which we, through the power of the Spirit, are brought into unity with Christ as His body. To embrace the fullness of His incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection life through the power of the Spirit and the love of the Father without acknowledging that the altar is open. If Jesus is prompting you this morning, come forward. The Father's arms are open wide. Live into your identity as a child of God. As one of my favorite theologians wrote so pointedly, Jesus calls us all to discipleship alone, but no one remains alone in discipleship. And so if you're prompted to do so, I will be here at the front to pray with anyone who is being prompted by Jesus. Don't feel pressured to come. Come if you're being invited. Say yes to God's divine yes that you are a child of God. But I want to set the question before us one last time this morning. Where is Jesus calling you to follow Him into the fullness of who He is? The incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection life as the church the body of Christ on earth. Go out, church. Let your love be genuine. And embrace the fullness of who Jesus Christ is as His body on earth by sharing in His incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection life by the power of the Holy Spirit in the love of the Father. Amen.